You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Welcome to the 1902nd edition of St Edmundsby News Talk for the 27th of October. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is Harvey Johnson and your readers are Chris Payne and Harvey Johnson. We should also like to mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Wet weather, a boost after drought fear. Homes plans are withdrawn. Patient survey gives hospitals mixed results. Clark, with a passion to help others, bids farewell. Water levels in East Anglia remain low before their expected level um, for the time of the year, and there are fears that will not be enough rain to replenish them this winter. Forecasters recorded an average of 83% of normal September rainfall last month. Enough to turn grass green and refresh gardens generally, but not enough to restore reservoir levels. Meteorologist Adam Drury said, We think we're looking at about average rainfalls, rainfall levels over the winter. Some months may be up, others down, but there's no indication of anything exceptional either way. Anglian water bosses would like to see above average rainfall during the winters to refill reservoirs and underground water resources after an exceptionally dry summer. A spokeswoman for the company said, This region, like most others, remains in drought, and if we don't get significant rainfall over the next few months, we could have major challenges next year. Despite yesterday's rain, there is still concern about rainfall levels, but experts are hopeful the winter will not be too cold. Forecasters are expecting temperatures to be average or above average for the time of year. But while there is concern about rainfall levels, WeatherQuest experts are hopeful the winter will not be too cold, expecting temperatures to be average or above average for the time of year. Mr Jury said, we cannot see any indication of a prolonged cold spell during the winter. It looks as if it's going to be about or above average. That is not to say there won't be short cold spells. There are some phenomena going on around the world that could bring in something for a few days, but nothing that looks like a long cold spell. Controversial proposals have been withdrawn for hundreds of homes in Bury St Edmunds which went against planning policy and could have created unsustainable pressure on GP surgeries. Rupert Brown of John Brown and Sons applied to West Suffolk Council for outline planning approval for up to 220 homes on land north of Gypsy Lane, east of the A143, Horringer Road, south of Horringer Hill House and west of Horsecroft Road. The 16.57 hectare site is used for agriculture and near the proposed new West Suffolk Hospital. However, following concerns from residents over traffic, and the landscape as well as planning policy issues, the application has been withdrawn. A document on planning policy suggested permission be refused as it would be a departure from West Suffolk Council's development plan. It added the application went against policy as it did not meet any criteria for development in the countryside 
the NHS Suffolk and North East Essex Integrated Care Board said the development could generate about 528 residents and increase demand on five GP practices near the site. Chris Crisell, Estate Strategic Planning Manager, said the surgeries did not have capacity to cope with the extra patients and the impact, if unmitigated, would be unsustainable. A developer contribution of £132,200 would have been required to create extra spaces at the practices. Suffolk County Council, as the Highways Authority, recommended refusal over planning policy. Peter Bradfield, <coughs> Senior Transport Planning Engineer for West Suffolk, said the application did not prioritise the promotion of sustainable transport and there was no evidence of safe and suitable access for all. He noted the impact on highway safety on the road network. A design and access statement by Agent Rapleys said the high-quality master plan could have provided up to 220 homes, including 66 affordable dwellings, and the opportunity to provide key worker housing for hospital staff. There would have been a new east-west link road between the A143 and the proposed new hospital, a new arrangement for the A143-B1066 Gypsy Lane Junction, 10.3 hectares of open space and a play area. A survey of patients at West Suffolk hospitals have revealed general satisfaction in some areas, while also finding room for improvement. People staying for at least one night at hospitals, staying for one night at the hospitals managed by the West Suffolk NHS Trust, were polled on their experiences. They were asked a variety of questions regarding their care. For wait times, quality of care and treatment, West Suffolk hospitals scored highly, but there were complaints over such factors as noise preventing patients from sleeping at night. The survey was part of an annual study carried out by the Care Quality Commission involving over 60,000 patients at 134 trusts up and down the country. Patients rated West Suffolk hospitals positively for admission times, scoring them 8.7 out of 10. However, many patients complained that noise was keeping them from sleeping at night. This netted West Suffolk Hospitals a score of 4.8 out of 10 in this category. The clerk of a charity which owns many of Berries and Edmunds' most famous landmarks, as well as almshouses across the town, has announced his retirement after developing, beg your pardon, after devoting 18 years to the position. David Marriott of Thurston took on the role for Guildhall Fefmont Trust in 2004 after dedicating nearly 30 years to his job as a traffic police officer before spending four years as commercial manager for Colford School. Now the 69-year-old is looking forward to beginning his retirement, which, he said, he would devote to golf and spending more time with his family. He's due to leave in February. But he said he would miss his colleagues and the people the trust had helped over the years he had worked there. I'll miss the camaraderie of the staff and the residents. They're lovely people, he said. There are not many jobs in life where you can actually help people, do things for them, and they're grateful. You don't do it for the gratitude, but the fact they're grateful does make it so much easier. David's role involves doing the paperwork to keep the charity running, the daily bookkeeping, 
and taking care of the property management of the buildings, ensuring their upkeep for future years. But David has also worked hard to establish relationships with the residents who live in the sheltered housing. I think it's important that the residents should not regard me as the boss. I'm about the only person that they see in a management-type role, other than the scheme managers. When we do a Christmas dinner for them, the scheme managers and I will do the cooking. We'll do the serving, and if they want another cup of tea, it's me they'll shout out for another cup. We have a summer barbecue every year, and I do the cooking there too. It's not about being aloof, it's being part of them, and being their friend. I was fascinated throughout my time as clerk to talk to the residents, to actually bring forward some of their stories that they've got. They're sitting, sometimes in isolation, with these stories that go back years and years, and they're fascinating. I found one of our residents had been awarded a British Empire medal. It's trying to tease these stories out of people because they all have stories they can tell. For David, taking on the role of clerk, was a continuation of his desire to help people which was sparked through his years as a policeman. He joined the police force as soon as he finished school at 16 in 1969, but felt the force had changed over time. He retired in 1996, but he said he looks back at his decision to join the trust as a marvellous one. When I joined the police, it was a very different place to what it is now. I joined in the era when the force was like heartbeat, so to find this job where you help people was fantastic. It ticks so many boxes. Guildhall Fefman Trust was established in 1481, after Jankin Smith left funds to the citizens of the town, who were expected to pay large sums of money to each new abbot of Berries and Edmunds upon his election. Later, other benefactors added to the funds to enable the Fefman to meet other needs in the town. It owns the Guildhall, maintained by Berries and Edmunds Heritage Trust, Moises Hall Museum, maintained by West Suffolk Council, the land Guildhall Fefmont Primary School is built on and No Man's Meadow near the rugby club. It also operates 37 almshouses or sheltered accommodation across five sites in College Square, Northgate Street, Southgate Street, St Andrews Street and Hengrave. The residents of the sheltered housing are known as beneficiaries of the charity and they pay weekly maintenance contribution towards the upkeep of the almshouses. The Trust organises activities for the residents to keep them engaged. We try and arrange events to keep residents interested and keep them social, David added. We try and encourage people to take part in group events and trips out. We organise dinners and lunches and coffee mornings every week. The Trust is also an umbrella charity to several smaller charities, which have grant-making abilities for those who may have financial or medical needs. From paranormal sightings to haunting murder mysteries, tour guides will be revealing Barry St Edmund's most terrifying tales this Halloween. As one of the oldest towns in the UK, with a rich history comes many dark secrets to be uncovered. Berry Town Guides is launching its ghostly and macabre tours at the end of October on Friday the 28th, Saturday the 29th and Monday the 31st. Tour guide Mike Dean, who takes on the role of Witchfinder General, says dressing up adds to the macabre 
of the night and ensures that the guides are in character. The statistics for our tours go back several years, and although they've always been popular, more recently we have seen a noticeable upturn. I think it's in part due to the fact that people often get trapped into a world of gloom and want to raise their spirits, forgive the pun. The Red Barn murder and the Abbey atrocities are just some of the highlights of the tour. The guides will also be taking audiences to never-before-visited spooky spots that Halloween season and the tours will continue on Friday evenings until March 23. Each ghostly walk takes 90 minutes and customers will begin their experience outside Marks and Spencers in the Butter Market. Tickets for the tours are £7.50. Marketing officer John Saunders said it's a real mixture, especially around Halloween, when several customers decide to dress up in their own ghoulish outfits. Then we have those who are attracted by historic sinister events and those who just want a night of fun. A host of events have been lined up in the run-up to St Edmund's Day this year. Between November 17th and St Edmund's Day on November the 20th, and part of the celebrations for the 1,000th anniversary of the founding of the Abbey, events include a spectacular light show, a St Edmund lecture, and services at St Edmundsbury Cathedral and St Edmund's Roman Catholic Church. The light show will take place every evening over the four days with sound and light projections onto the Norman Tower and St Edmundsbury Cathedral Tower. The St Edmund lecture on November the 19th will be given in St Edmundsbury Cathedral by Ipswich-born politician David Gork, a former Lord Chancellor. A civic mass, also on November the 19th, will celebrate the feast day of St Edmund and will take place at St Edmund's Catholic Church. Meanwhile, the Abbey 1000 sculpture, a giant monk sculpture, which launched, launched the monthly changing exhibition of artworks in the Abbey crypt, will be returning during November to mark the finale of the display. Fuel poverty could hit up to 100,000 households across Suffolk by the end of the year, the Bishop of St Edmundsbury in Ipswich has warned. The Right Reverend Martin Seeley also highlighted the need to care for the poor and vulnerable as the cost of living crisis bites. He said a quarter of all households across the county could be affected after a large increase in the number of families struggling to earn enough to pay for their heating bills. He added a large number of Suffolk households would not benefit from a cap on gas prices because they were not able to access gas. Bishop Martin has urged the government to ensure households without a mains gas supply are not overlooked and spoke in the House of Lords during a debate on the economy this month. The Bishop's call for urgent action was noted by Lord Callaghan, Parliamentary Under Secretary of State, Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, who said, the government is also aware the energy price guarantee will leave those households currently with unregulated energy sources, such as those living off the gas grid, with uncut bills this winter. However, our objective is that all households, regardless of their heating source, will be no worse off than an equivalent domestic gas household under the energy price guarantee. Bishop Martin said, we are hearing of pensioners having to go back to work to make ends meet and more young working parents coming 
with embarrassment for the first time to a food bank or a top-up shop to be able to feed their family. Please do not make this situation worse. In Suffolk in 2020, there were 48,000 households in fuel poverty. This year, according to the Suffolk Community Foundation, on which I serve as a patron, even with the energy price cap, that will rise to at least 75,000 households and probably closer to 100,000, which is more than a quarter of all Suffolk households. Suffolk Community Foundation is soon to launch an emergency of cost of living surviving winter appeal. Bishop Martin said, In Suffolk, close to 29% of properties are off-grid for gas, double the national average for England. I know the government has recognised the need to support those off-grid by offering an additional £100 per year in support, but given the price of fuel oil, that will barely make a dent. Bot is at a popular toy shop, which will begin a new era as it moves to bigger premises, have shared their memories of the last two decades. Starling's toy master on Cornhill, Berryson Edmonds, announced early this month its move to the Ark shopping centre. John Starling, managing director, said the exciting new chapter would see them double in size with 25 metres of Lego products, including display models. For John and his staff, it has been a moment to reflect on the history of the store, which launched in 2006 and was part of the 110-year-old company's expansion. He said... We opened up on November 26th, five weeks before Christmas, and it was just so busy from day one. Since then, John and the Berry team have seen many toy trends hit the shelves. Although toys have become more technically advanced, a lot of the most popular names have stood the test of time. Manager Haley Pierce, who has worked in the store for 21 years, said, To be fair, a lot of dolls and Barbies are kind of the same from back in the day. Lego has definitely come a long way though, and new toys like Paw Patrol and Bluey are proving to be very popular. Christmas is always our busiest period. People end up queuing out of both doors around then. I think people like to actually see the product in person compared to doing online shopping. Over the years we've seen children grow up and then see them come to visit us with their own families. It's so lovely, and we've been speaking to our regulars for years. I'm thrilled about the new store, but I'm sad too. It's the end of an era for this side of town. But we've got exciting times ahead, for sure. The building in Cornhill has a long history as a toy shop. And before Starlings was Bridgen's in the 1970s, followed by Beatty's and Toymaster Kingdom. This year marks a milestone for Starlings Toys, as the family company has been selling toys for 110 years. The business started in Sheringham in the early 1910s and John said he was excited to continue his family's legacy in the new store. He said, We've been looking for somewhere for the past six or seven years because the old shop is just a bit too small to deliver the best shopping experience possible. I'm very proud of what we've achieved over the past 16 years and it is sad to be leaving. Cornhill has treated us very well but it's time to move on to new and exciting things. A young footballer from Sudbury was amazed to find out she had been selected by the academy of one of the world's best women's football teams. Sophie Brown O'Shea was recently selected by Arsenal Women's Academy 
Arsenal are considered um, one of the best women's football teams in the world, having won a record 15 league titles and 14 FA Cups. The current first team includes stars such as Vivian Medema, as well as Euro 22 um, heroes Beth Mead and Leah Williamson. 12-year-old Sophie, who was born in Spain, has lived in England since she was two and currently lives in Sudbury. Before joining Arsenal, she played in the academies of AFC Sudbury, Needham Market and Ipswich Town. She currently also plays for the Suffolk County team. Sophie said, I was just amazed really. I played well at the trials, but I didn't play as well as I normally do, so I didn't really expect it. Sophie travels to Hertfordshire three times a week for training and a match on Saturdays. She has been coached by Arsenal and Switzerland midfiel midfielder Granit Zaka, who also gave her a signed shirt. Sophie, who is a West Ham fan, said she has been playing football for as long as she can remember. She said, I started playing with my dad and then I started playing after school. I also went to football camps and when I was eight I joined a team and played in the boys' teams because there weren't there wasn't girls team there wasn't a girls team for me it's really cool to be playing with girls my age from different places but it's also a bit weird in a way because i've never been used to that it's been more playing in boys teams <laughs> women's football has had a, a meteorotic a meteorotic rise in recent years with help from the lionesses winning the euros in london this summer sophie said that just shows that it is possible there are more people to look, up, to look up to in the sports now. Sophie's parents, Julian and Sarah, said a ball is attached to her all day. When we were on holiday in Greece, she walked around with a ball the whole time on the beach. She used to come back from camps and she would say, I want to be a lioness. And we said we would support her all the way. Now this next item is entitled Rickshaws Ready for Winter. And it's written by Sam Reed, who's a trustee of Berries and Edmunds Rickshaw and uh, quite often seen around town peddling the rickshaw. So this is what Sam has to say. Sometimes it is hard to keep up with all the wonderful rides we are offering, but this update is focusing on Christmas. Some of you may know we are able to provide our free ride all year round. The Cozy Toes blankets, wraparound hood and supply of hats and gloves means our bracing winter weather can provide a spectacular opportunity to see our town while still remaining warm. Last year we introduced the Christmas lights rides, which gave people who would normally stay inside in the evening an opportunity to come out and see the beautiful sparkles around the town over the festive season. And now we want to shout from the rooftops that we are here again, raring to go for Christmas rides from November the 17th most evenings from 3.30pm to pick people up who are less able and more isolated to enjoy the simple pleasures of riding round our town. We're also keen to help people get to warm spaces this winter. Many organisations are promoting spaces where older and intergenerational groups can come together and stay warm while enjoying company and hot drinks at reduced prices. If you need a ride to get you to the following places, we are happy to offer free rides for your first visit to, and here's a bit of a list of five places, <laughs> Southgate Community Centre, 
the Monday Coffee Club, that's from 10 to 12.30. St George's Church, Anselm Avenue, again Mondays from October the 31st from 2.30 to 4.30pm. All Saints Church, Highbury Road, that's on Thursdays from November the 3rd from 10.15am to 1pm. The Old School Cafe, St John Street, on Tuesdays, 10am until noon, with a special winter warmer menu. And Bury St Edmunds Library, every day. And Sam says there will be more places we can go to, so please ring us on 01284 339 449. Nice and easy to remember, 01284 339 449 so we can share this super idea to help everyone struggling to stay warm and keep connected. The heading of my next article says Cafe Mark's official launch with a cake cutting and I understand that the church is that I am or the church I will be reading about is in Stowe Market not in Bury St Edmunds because we do have a St Peter's and we do have a St Mary's church in Bury St Edmunds. A popular cafe held a ceremony at the weekend to mark its official opening. Ozier Cafe moved to St Peter's and St Mary's Church in May after previously being at the Food Museum. Although they welcomed customers and served a range of food and drink from the menu, owner Helen Nock believed she never had a chance to properly announce the cafe's opening. At the launch event, she said, Thank you so much to everyone for coming today, and thank you for all your support. A lot of you prayed for us, and we really appreciate all the love that you've given us. We've got some really lovely regulars who have two jacket potatoes on a Saturday, and I love seeing them every week. Helen uses the cafe to help support those in need in Stowmarket, and she set up a sharing shelf as a direct way to help people during the cost of living crisis. Christmas shoppers are being invited to help out a host of good causes this Christmas at a pop-up shop. The Bury St Edmunds branch of Cards for Good Causes has opened the shop at the Olivia Ben Boutique on Angel Hill. The pop-up is selling a wide range of Christmas cards, gifts and wrapping paper with the proceeds going to support 40 charities, local and nationwide. These range from East Anglian Air Ambulance to Amnesty International and the World Wildlife Fund. The Berry Pop-Up is one of a number of shops around the UK selling charity Christmas cards on behalf of over 200 charities in total. With each card bought, 74 pence of every pound spent goes to the charity listed on the card. A Suffolk schoolboy has been invited onto a construction site after daily after-school visits to watch the project unfold. 11-year-old Henry Stevens was invited onto the site in Needham Market by Anglian Demolition and Asbestos Operation Director Rob Eastoff, along with Simon Tobin of Tobin Plant. Since the start of the project, Henry would visit the gates of the site after school with his granddad, where Anglian are demolishing a large set of offices. During the last ten weeks, Henry has taken hundreds of pictures of the site where his grandma used to work, managing to capture the whole demolition process. After learning about Henry's daily visits, Anglian Demolition decided to arrange an opportunity for Henry to get up close to the action. 
On Wednesday the 19th of October, members of staff from Anglian and Simon Tobin met Henry and his mum and grandparents at the site gates. Simon gave Henry a collectible, Lia Gong excavator, along with a goodie bag full of Lia Gong merchandise. Before entering the site, Anglian gifted Henry his very own hard hat and high-vis to wear, so he felt part of the team. Henry was then allowed to sit on diggers, pose for pictures and ask questions about the demolition. The schoolboy was also able to get some more close-up pictures to add to his collection. Operations Director Rod Eaststaff said it was a fantastic afternoon meeting Henry and his family. Seeing the big smile on his face has made our week. Thank you, Henry, for being so enthusiastic about our work. We hope you enjoy the remaining four weeks of the project. A future demolition man in the making. <laughs> hope he doesn't Lovely come story. My, yes, I hope he doesn't come my way, though. <laughs> <laughs> A film and television television star returned to the Barry St Edmunds Theatre, which inspired his acting career, to enjoy a show-by-drama group close to his heart. Nigel Havers visited the Theatre Royal on Tuesday night to watch the Berry St Edmunds Operatic and Dramatic Society production of Neighbourhood Watch. Nigel, who is patron of the Theatre and the Society, said he found his love for acting when he attended Noughton Court Preparatory School, aged 6 to 13, and described the town as part of my life. The school was run by the Blackburn family and they were very famous around here, he said. Every summer there was a natural theatre in the grounds of the school and they'd build a marquee and we'd do Shakespeare, always Shakespeare. They were passionate about the theatre, which was then used as a barrel store for Green King. I've got photographs of me sitting on a barrel in the auditorium. They decided that in order to raise money for the theatre, we would do a grown-up production in the grounds in the summer holidays of A Midsummer Night's Dream. It was a big hit and we had 600 people a night come to watch us and we raised a lot of money for the theatre and the building work started that summer. And that's really why I became an actor, because people came to see me and said, you must do this for real. The former Coronation Street star, who was BAFTA nominated for his role in Chariots of Fire, does have hope for local theatre after the pandemic. He said, theatre is the life and soul in many ways of each community. Once you interrupt that, which Covid did, it takes time to build up the confidence to go back to the theatre, but that will certainly come. Nigel starts rehearsals for Panto at the London Palladium at the end of this month. Nick Metcalf, who made his directorial debut with this production, said, Local theatre needs a bit of a boost at the moment. Money is tight for people and audience numbers are down because of Covid. People are still worried about being in a confined space with other people. So Nigel coming to say, it's okay, come and support your theatre, is a lovely message for him to push out. Worthy winners from Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service and Trading Standards were recognised at an awards ceremony. The Fire Awards, which honours the bravery and commitment of those looking after Suffolk communities, made a comeback after a two-year hiatus due to the pandemic. Over 50 awards were handed out, including those for outstanding service, as well as acknowledgement to new recruits during the presentation at Ipswich East Fire Station. 
Among the, among the winners was firefighter Liam Gallagher-Borley from Bury St Edmunds, who won the Cabinet Member Award for Volunteer of the Year, alongside Mark Turley for their work in leading the Fire Cadet Scheme in the town and Haverhill. A special mention was given to Bury firefighter Stephen Simmons, who passed away last year. The ceremony concluded with a raffle to raise funds for the Firefighters Charity and Bury St Edmunds District Deaf and Hard of Hearing Association. Around 100 singers and a bishop took part in a festival of choral music at St Edmundsbury Cathedral on October the 9th. The event was organised by the In Harmony Project, established to promote musical activities at the cathedral in association with the Royal School of Church Music. This was the first concert of its kind to be staged at the iconic cathedral in five years, with singers drawn from a number of community choirs, including St Edmundsbury's own groups. The festival concluded with a service, led by the Bishop of St Edmundsbury and Ipswich, the Right Reverend Martin Seeley, and the cathedral's dean, the Very Reverend Joe Hawes. A businesswoman competed on a new TV show to win a contract with one of the UK's largest supermarket chains. Stone Market, mum of two, Jess McKenzie, appeared on a new Channel 4 series called Aldi's Next Big Thing, which sees contestants go through rounds to win a chance of getting their wares on supermarket shelves. She launched her company, Jess Cooks, in 2019, offering nutritional frozen meals for children to provide a healthy alternative for busy parents. Speaking before the launch of the show, Jess said, I just applied, got through the various rounds, and then I was told I was going to be on, be on it. It's a bit scary knowing that, the first episode's coming out, but I'm sure the producers will be kind. It's not like the shows where they're trying to trip anybody up or make anyone look awful or anything. I worked in television before, I had a bit, so I had a bit more insider knowledge going into it. So it was quite strange being on the other side after 10 years of working in production. Jess's stock features seven healthy frozen meals for children, which include pork ragu, beef bolognese, veggie shepherd's pie, chicken or veggie tikka curry, Moroccan lamb meatballs and jerk chicken curry. She said she came up with the idea for the business as she believed there was a gap in the market for a quick but also healthy solution for busy parents. We think of ourselves as the alternative to fish fingers and nuggets, Jess said. If you work and you're time poor, but you don't always want to fall back on frozen junk food, there's very little else. A few years ago, my friend brought her three children round to our house for tea one night, and I had some frozen bolognese in the freezer. That I chucked in the microwave, poured over some spaghetti, and it was all done. She immediately asked, why can't I buy that in the supermarket? A batch cooked bolognese that is healthy for kids. So that was it. Aldi's next big thing is being presented by Anita Rani of Countryfile and BBC Radio 4 and Chris Bevan of Britain's Best Home, Cook and Eat Well for Less. Each week will feature a different category, such as dinners, baked goods or treats, and the contestants will present their products to be judged. And here's an item which will warm your heart, certainly, but also <laughs> perhaps bring a tear to your eye. 
When Carrie Knight and Lily Steele sat down to brainstorm ideas for a collaborative book, never did they imagine how far they'd fly. The friends are both military wives and met through their husbands who served in the 1st Battalion Royal Anglian Regiment. Carrie, who lives in Mildenhall, is a teacher and Lily is a doctor, but in their spare time the two like to pursue their more creative sides. One day we got chatting about my love of writing and her love of painting. I explained to Lily that as part of my little boy's enthusiasm for aircraft and aviation, I'd written some children's stories based on a mascot in an aircraft on the local bases, and she suggested it would be nice if we used our creative flair to write a book together for charity, she explains. From there, the two stumbled upon Giraffes on Tour, a foundation dedicated to Louise Conway. Louise sadly lost her battle with leukaemia in 2013, aged just nine. Her parents later set up a charity in her name as a way to honour Louise's memory and raise funds for vital research. When Louise was first admitted to Great Ormond Street Hospital, her parents gave her the opportunity to choose a toy from the shop to keep her company when she was undergoing treatment, said Carrie. She chose a giraffe and named him Geoffrey. He was by her side constantly and was a source of companionship and comfort and helped bring a smile to her when she and her family were going through such an awful time. When Louise passed away, her father Ian decided her legacy should carry on. He took the giraffe toy out on adventures, snapping photos of Geoffrey along the way. Since its inception, Giraffes on Tour has seen Geoffrey sail on HMS Queen Elizabeth's maiden voyage and saw in the Battle of Britain memorial flight over Buckingham Palace for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations. He can also frequently be seen flying with the United States Air Force from Suffolk air bases. It's grown from a group of friends to having thousands of followers over just a few weeks. It's gone from strength to strength and in that time has won a Pride of Britain award for its fundraising efforts, adds Carrie. After finding out about the initiative, Carrie and Lily were keen to help. Giraffes on tour is lovely, as it relates to the story I've already written. When Lily and I found out about it, we fell in love with it, said Carrie. Last year, the friends put their heads together and created a book that showcased Geoffrey on some of his many adventures. We worked so well together. As soon as we sat down, we started throwing ideas about to see how we could turn this into a children's book. We first started this last August, and it's been a bit of a whirlwind. The publishing world doesn't tend to rush with things, but we got the book out in quite a short space of time. Because we wrote it on behalf of Giraffes on Tour, we had numerous meetings to make sure the story was absolutely fitting with Louise and her legacy. It was important to make sure everything was perfect, but we rarely got to the heart of it. With the tale and the accompanying illustrations down to a T, the ladies were able to release their first book entitled Never Alone. Never Alone is based on five of Geoffrey's real-life adventures, which include flying with Flight Lieutenant James Sainty, the British Demo Typhoon pilot, the Red Arrows, Lockheed U-2, nicknamed Dragon Lady, and the NHS Spitfire. Since its release, copies have been flying off the shelves. It's been embraced by adults and children alike, and the reception has been absolutely phenomenal. 
We launched Never Alone at the end of April, and so far we've sold about 12 or 13,000 copies, been around the world, making its way to Europe, Australia, America and Canada. It's a lovely rhyming story. Mm. And although it's aimed at children, the story behind it is a tale of comfort, love and friendship. The first book has been such a success, but will there be a sequel? Most definitely. There's a second book coming out in 2023, so Geoffrey will be hitting the shelves once again. It's going to be a very busy year for Geoffrey. He's done some incredible things, so it's only fair to include his adventures in another book. To find out more about Geoffrey the Giraffe, visit Giraffes on Tour, that's all one word, giraffesontour.co.uk. Now we move to some letters. And my first one is written by Don Black of Dis. And this letter appeared in the East Anglian Daily Times. Amid bewildering comings and goings of these times, I woke up to turn on BBC Radio 4, soon hearing Martha Kearney interviewing Jeremy Hunt, the new Chancellor. Political circumstances could not have been more difficult, but she conducted the long interview faultlessly. Both are experienced professionals, she a broadcaster and he in government, so nobody should be surprised that all went smoothly. What is pleasantly surprising is that Martha has Suffolk connections and is keen on beekeeping. She celebrated her 65th birthday on October the 8th. Uh, this letter from Paul Marshall of Thurston is under the heading Our National Health Service Has Been Failed. This is what Paul says. I recently needed to contact my GP surgery in Bury St Edmunds and faced a long wait just to speak to a receptionist. We, the public, are advised we should contact our GPs first for advice and treatment. Fortunately, I only had a minor problem. But what if it hadn't been? This wait represents a significant delay in treatment. No wonder the ambulance service is receiving so many calls. And no wonder emergency departments are so busy with long waiting times that further delay treatment. Now, I have to say that although it was frustrating, I don't blame anyone and my GP surgery for this. In fact, I'm very pleased with their service generally. They are working very hard, facing an incredibly high demand for their services. It represents the state the NHS is in, having been failed for decades by successive governments and its own management. And now we are informed in the news that government departments are to look at ways to cut spending the NHS will surely be asked to cut their spending too. The whole country, including the NHS, needs an overhaul, and whatever government we have needs to be up to the challenge. My next letter is written by Graham Day of Stowmarket, and he says broken promises on pensions. Why do we always believe that politicians will do their best for us ordinary mortals in this country? I remember former Prime Minister David Cameron many years ago committing to the triple lock on pensions. This ensured that the older generation need not worry about financial hardship in the future, as pensions would rise according to whatever measures was the highest. Putting the older generation into a position where they would feel valued, as in other countries, was key. We now have had the grotesque failure of a misguided and incompetent trussonomics designed by those 
without a shred of sense and lacking totally in ability or understanding. All that is happening is that all policies, including the triple lock, are now under review with the new Chancellor. Thanks very much for nothing. As an individual in my three score years and ten, I am appalled. None of what has happened in the last decade was what I signed up for as a 16-year-old embarking on my career in 1966. There are lies, damn lies and politicians. The letdown is total. I have now joined the ranks of the grumpy old geezers with a rucksack. A further letter from someone who supplies their name and address under the heading Give Some Thought to These Volunteers. Amidst all the ongoing claims for higher wages, shorter hours and better working conditions, most if not all might well be justified and have public support, but that aside, do we ever stop and think of the small army of public-spirited volunteers who give of their time in a variety of capacities, any of which would struggle to exist without their unpaid time and support? I was privileged to meet one such person recently when attending the pain clinic at West Suffolk Hospital, where his presence made such a difference, with his friendly chat, making tea and coffee and handing out a choice of biscuits, as well as collecting prescriptions from the pharmacy for every patient. No watching the clock, he stayed until everyone had been seen and attended to before making his way home. I doff my hat to Bill Simpson and everyone of his ilk who support this small army of unpaid voluntary workers. Where would we be without them? Now, my last letter is written by Richard Gamage, and he represents the No Homeless Veterans Campaign. And he says veterans deserve better than this. As the cost of living crisis deepens, we welcome any action to prevent the very real possibility of more people ending up homeless on our streets. Since the start of the pandemic, charities have seen a rise in the number of homeless armed forces veterans seeking their help. Some report an increase of 50%. We are also seeing people with more severe and complex needs. When someone has served their country, the least we can do is support them when they make the move back to civilian life. Yet, every year, thousands of veterans end up sleeping rough, sofa surfing or living in unsuitable hostels because they are unable to access housing and slip through the net. The cost of living crisis will only make the situation worse. The Armed Forces government states that anyone who has served should face no disadvantage and that veterans who are especially vulnerable should be prioritised for support. It's vital that when someone needs help with housing, they are asked whether they've served in the forces. If they have, this should be recorded. Once identified, they can be directed towards support that's available. We are concerned that, without action, things will get worse. A more coordinated approach between local authorities, housing providers, homelessness charities and veterans organisations is needed. No one wants to see more veterans out on our streets this winter. Those that have served, often through the most trying of times, deserve better. And my last letters from Martin Gould under the heading Planners have got their wires crossed. There were two stories in the Berry Free Press of October the 7th 
referring to planning decisions just off the A14 at the Ruffham Junction number 45. On page 9, I read that construction has begun there of a BP petrol station with the Greggs, Budgeons and Costa. On page 28, we are told that planning permission for an EV charge point at, a, at apparently the same petrol station was refused on the grounds of landscape impact. If this is indeed all at the same development, could someone please explain how a couple of often hard to spot EV chargers can be such an eyesore, whereas half a dozen petrol and diesel pumps plus garage buildings and sign shop eateries and facilities are no blot on the landscape. There are very few rapid chargers on or reasonably close to the A14 in Suffolk, so this would be a good spot. Shouldn't all planned new petrol stations have to include a charging point from now on, bearing in mind the need to move away from fossil fuels and to provide sufficient public charges for electric vehicles? Now, welcome to Chatterbox, a weekly sideways look at what's got you talking to the keyboard got you talking to the keyboard on social media this week. <laughs> Sorry about the stutter. Um, news at a fireworks display is returning after two years. Had lots of people leaving their comments earlier in the week. Last week it was announced that Bury St Edmunds Round Table Fireworks Spectacular will be at the Abbey Gardens on Saturday the 5th of November. The popular event raises thousands of pounds for charity and as the last two years were missed due to the pandemic, there has been less money going towards those in need. Lionel Robertson was pleased to hear the news. He said, great news, we've always enjoyed the Abbey Gardens display. However, concerns over animal welfare and wildlife were expressed. Haley Peachy Pampling said, why not save the money spent on fireworks and give direct to charities? The wildlife would thank you for sure and terrified pets. Susan Olds added, fireworks should be done away with, money could be spent elsewhere, and the fear that animals have to go through is horrific. The story that we read to you earlier about actor Nigel Haver's visit to the Theatre Royal also had people talking. <laughs> the Coronation Street star was there to watch the Berries and Edmonds Operating Dramatic Society production of Neighbourhood Watch, you remember. Jenny Hooper had fond memories of playing a part in the show. She said... I remember that production. The Tinkler School of Dancing was also involved. Angela Freakley and I were both fairies with green makeup. Loved every minute. Joshua Larkham said, He was Noughton Court's famous old boy when I was there. He was friends with the late Lord Bristol. And finally, a cafe which celebrated its launch on Saturday received many congratulatory messages. The Osier Cafe in Stowmarket held a cake-cutting ceremony to march its successful move to St Peter's and St Mary's Church Stowmarket. Ken Abbott said, Great to see all aspects of the community coming together with this project, including councillors Barry and Heather. Just what I would expect from this couple. They're not just civic leaders, they're people's people. Bob Halls added, This is a wonderful venture. The cafe developing a great welcoming atmosphere with a lovely warm feeling. My mate Don Egan and I have taken up residence on Thursday mornings for breakfast and we seem to spend more and more time chatting with people we know as the cafe attracts more and more customers. Wonderful. Now we move back to some general news. And 
a new partnership has been struck between a town business support organisation and a charity for those in need. Our Bury St Edmunds has teamed up with the Gatehouse charity in the hope of making Christmas a little better for those struggling this Christmas. The Gatehouse Home Store and Food Bank Charity in Dettingham Way supports families and individuals living on benefits or low income. Our Bury St Edmunds hopes people buying gift cards for friends or family this festive season might consider buying an additional card to donate to the organisation. The gift cards will then be distributed to food bank users before Christmas to spend locally on gifts and treats for their households. It's also hoped that if businesses choose to give the cards to staff instead of a Christmas bonus, they may consider donating any extra cards to the charity. Mark Cordell, Chief Executive of Our Bury St Edmunds, said the Our Bury St Edmunds gift card is a way of supporting the local economy and generously donating an extra gift card to Gatehouse. People will be helping to make Christmas a little bit better for someone who is struggling. It could be the difference between some extra treats in a child's Christmas stocking or the chance to afford something that many take for granted such as a visit to a coffee shop or a trip to the cinema. The Arbury St Edmunds gift card can be used at more than 60 outlets in the centre. Amanda Bloomfield, Gatehouse Chief Executive, said the image of Christmas that we see in the adverts can be very different from the reality of those hardest hit by the cost of living crisis. We'll pass any gift card donations on to those who we know are worried about what they can afford to buy at this very expensive time of year. Our Bury St Edmunds gift card can be ordered online via www.ourburystedmunds.com. The Our Bury St Edmunds is all one word, incidentally. A school is celebrating after winning two coveted gardening awards following a year of transforming its grounds. Sybil Andrews Academy on Morton Hall, Bury St Edmunds, scooped the two prizes in Bury and Bloom's Green King Green Finger Scheme. Tongue <laughs> 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 had to take a run at that one. Yep. <laughs> Bury and Bloom's Green King Green Finger Scheme. Students across all year groups have been working on a school garden, which was recognised with the Gold Award in the Upper Schools category. And it was a double celebration at the school after Year 7 Pastoral Officer Laura Caunter won the judges' special award after leading the school project. Laura said, We were all absolutely delighted to win these Berry and Bloom awards. Our school garden project has been really special as it has had such a positive impact on the students and their social and emotional well-being. A whole school worked off timetable for a day to take part in a global art festival to show that everyone can be an artist. Pupils at Westgate Community Primary School in Bury St Edmunds enjoyed a brilliant day on Tuesday when they got stuck into the Big Draw Festival. Art subject lead and reception teacher Rebecca Hoyer said they explored this year's theme, Come Back to Colour, in relation to themselves, the environment and their mental health and well-being. She said the variety of wonderful art activities included hand and feet painting with the reception children. Japanese printing with year one and pop art portraits with year four. And at lunchtime, the whole school joined together to doodle on the playground in colourful chalk.
Mrs. Hoyer said the school participated in the global event, The Big Draw, to raise the profile of art and let everyone know that they can be an artist. <laughs> a gang of suspected night hawkers were arrested on suspicion of attempting to take items from an ancient monument. Four men were found at the Mid-Suffolk site last Wednesday at 10.15pm with metal detecting equipment and with items suspected to have been taken from the protected area. Known as night hawking, metal detecting on sites scheduled as ancient monuments is illegal without permission from the Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport. The men aged 23, 24, 25 and 37 were arrested on suspicion of using a metal detector on a site scheduled as an ancient monument. The group was also arrested on suspicion of removing an object of archaeological and historical interest from a scheduled monument, criminal damage and going equipped for theft. The men were taken to Martlesham Police Investigation Centre for questioning before being released under investigation while inquiries continue. Sergeant Brian Carver of Suffolk's Rural Wildlife and Heritage Policing Team said, We take heritage crime incredibly seriously. Those responsible are stealing our heritage, our historical knowledge, and once it is gone, it is often gone forever. So please, if you do see anything or suspect anything is taking place, please report it to us straight away. If you see a crime in progress, please call 999 so we can attend as soon as possible. If you know your land is being targeted by night hawkers, do let us know so we can proactively target this criminality. Council considering tax discounts for low-income families. Council tax discounts could be increased for one year to help low-income families as an authority looks to support projects that help communities through the tough months ahead. Suffolk Council is looking at the option of increasing the council tax discount given to low-income households across the district. The authority has outlined draft proposals to support 4,700 residents who are already on means-tested benefits. This would include increasing the discount from the current capped 91.5% where those eligible pay a minimum of 8.5% of their council tax to either 95 or 100% where those eligible would pay a minimum of 5% or none of their bill. Councillor Sarah Broughton, Deputy Leader and Portfolio Holder for Resources and Property said, supporting people to find the right information and help during these challenging times is complex and can only be achieved through the work of partners and organisations coming together. In Suffolk, there is tremendous joint work going on in which West Suffolk is playing its part we want to know people's thoughts about a one-year increased discount. A new sign has been unveiled on Santon Downham Village Green to mark the Platinum Jubilee. Sylvia East, parish clerk to Santon Downham Parish Council, said there was a very good turnout to see the sign, which was designed by John McCreeth and made by Norfolk blacksmith Thomas B. Bonnet. Sylvia added... We had waited a long time for the sign and we are absolutely thrilled we eventually have it. Brandon Town and District Councillor Phil Whittam said, The sign was commissioned for the Jubilee and the unveiling was all the more poignant now that Her Majesty has passed. <laughs> 
It is something very worthwhile, and it is going to be there for several hundred years. It really is quite stunning. Now, we're on to the looking back, and 25 years ago, it says, let's tie the knot. Remember, this is 25 years ago. In 1997, a stone market couple aged between 81 and 82 tied the knot to prove they really are never too old to find love. Hazel Defour and Herbert Kitchener said their vows in the grand setting of Ravenwood Hall 30 years after they first met. It was in Enfield, North London, that they first set eyes on each other when Hazel asked to run rule over the accounts of Herbert's butcher's shop. She was married, but the pair became firm friends and kept in regular contact, even when Hazel moved to Stowmarket. After Hazel's husband died, which Herbert supported her through, he moved to Suffolk to be with her. Now, the next one is 50 years ago, and it said William walked for Samaritans. When eight-year-old William Lambert of Two Barrels Orchard, Wesley, heard that the Bury St Edmunds Samaritans were short of funds, he organised his own sponsored walk in 1972. With his father Bran, he covered 13 miles from West Stowe to Santon Downham, collected £1.20 from his mother and a friend who sponsored him and presented it to the Samaritans. William, who went to Sexton's Manor Primary School, thought the Samaritans was a good cause. I wasn't tired when I finished, he said, but I nearly had a blister. I was supposed to be going on a sponsored work all earlier in the year, but I had to miss it. <laughs> and my last item, proposals to extend the Bury St Edmunds Primary School to cope with increased pupil numbers due to a change to two-tier schooling are under consideration. Tollgate Primary School in Tollgate Lane wants to build a side extension to its existing nursery and playground areas extra staff for visitor parking, a playground for key stage one pupils, a new year six block to the rear of the grounds, a multi-use games area and basketball court, and a key stage two playground. West Suffolk Council is considering the scheme, which has been developed due to the school needing to accommodate an extra two year groups when Bury's last remaining middle schools, Wesley and Horringer Court, close. Tollgate Primary started accommodating Year 5 pupils in September, while from September 2023 it will also admit to Year 6 pupils on site. The addition of the two year groups equates to an extra 120 students. Meanwhile, the school's nursery intends to extend its provision to cater for two-year-olds. It is hoped building work could start in January, subject to approval. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edward's Bay News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, the East Anglian Daily Times, the Haverhill Hill Echo and the Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So it's until then, from Harvey, Chris and Liz, it's goodbye. Bye.
You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.